Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I don't know where you're listening from, but I am glad that you have made time on your Tuesday evening to join us for That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program this evening. No matter how you're joining us, no matter where you are listening from, we are honored that you are listening to the program, and we look forward to your participation this evening. Pastor Murphy, before we jump into our topic that we were discussing the last two weeks on corporal punishment, we have a number of questions that have come in via WhatsApp. The first one came in right at the end of last week's episode, and I apologize to the listener in the Southern Caribbean that we were not able to get to your question last evening, but we will start out this episode with your question. Good night, listening to the program. I have a question. How do you explain the term birds of a feather flock together? I don't find that term to be 100% true. My question was on the basis of psychology. Pastor, what are your thoughts? Well, I think most people are familiar with that uh, particular expression. It's an English proverb, and it's asserting the general truth that people of the same taste, the same interests, same personality, same character tend to associate together. Like people are in the professionals. You might have doctors who seem to associate uh, uh, nurses or um, lawyers or people who do social drinking. Um, just so generally, it's a general truth that people who... Um, have the same type of interest and taste normally would associate themselves together. However, the observation that it is not 100% is also very valid because there are always exceptions to this kind of a, uh, of a proverb. A proverb is a general truth, but there are always some exceptions. So it's not uncommon to find people who seem to be so different who yet associate with each other. Uh, one of my common, common observations is that I find that um, then it comes to this matter of um, compatibility and uh, having common features, I find that uh, when I deal with people who are married, I find that distinctly true, that birds of a, flo- a feather don't flock together because they're so different. Uh, there are times when I wonder um, what really brought the two people together. So th- there's a general truth, however, and, and I do agree that there are some exceptions. But that's what it means, basically, that people who have the same the same, as, um, same uh, association, uh, who have the same tastes, and etc., um, do c- have a tendency to want to be with each other, etc. Our next question it comes from the Caribbean. Pastor, would it be possible to consider doing a topic 
on correction, tackling how the believer should go about correcting another believer versus an unbeliever. When is it appropriate time to correct someone? Can a believer correct someone when they're angry or disappointed with what is taking place? Uh, and the question goes on for a while. But what are your thoughts, Pastor? Well, um, I, when they talk correcting, I suspect that they're dealing with some kind of conflict they're having. I'm not too sure the nature of the problem or the issue that's being um, discussed or being debated. But, you know, the, the reality is that conflicts and having to deal with matters of uh, correcting people, uh, etc., Uh, Don't forget that this is something that we all are going to experience at some point in time. It's it's totally inevitable. Basically, human beings are selfish, they're uh, sinful, they're self-protective, and they're very, very egocentric. And I think that all of us can relate to some situation where our feelings have been hurt, or we've been wronged, or misunderstood, or mistreated, or misrepresented, or even feel abused. So that is something that you're going to expect. But we as believers ought to try to be peacemakers and try to be agents of reconciliation. If we've been reconciled to God, uh, God wants us to respond in conflict in ways that are uh, different, uh, remarkably different to the person who has not been reconciled to Him. And don't forget that, that when it comes to uh, conflict and, and correcting, etc., uh, etc., et it could be an opportunity for you to grow as a person, uh, to learn how to deal with the issue, uh, how to help the other person, and then how to model such Christian graces as meekness and patience, self-control and tolerance. And above all, it may be an opportunity to, to, to glorify God. But in terms of uh, dealing and correcting the, the person, I want to make one or two quick suggestions, if I may. Uh, first of all, I think you've got to uh, decide if this is a matter that you can forego or is it really a matter of such great concern that you just can't leave it. There are some issues that are not worth fighting over. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And if it's not a substantial issue that is going to affect your relationship, it may be something you can overlook or just bypass. If it is something that is uh pertinent and and, and substantial, you might want to deal with it. I would suggest to you, first of all, uh, ask yourself the question, if you want to correct the person, is this the right place to deal with the issue? I think that's one you need to ask ask for. I mean, I don't know where you are when this um, particular event has taken place and you feel that you need to correct them. Uh, Are you in the person's home? Are you on the street having a a brawl, a debate? Are you in the workplace where you're consuming the the, the manager's time and stuff like that? Uh, Are you you in the park? Are you in the church, in the supermarket? I think uh, the place is vitally important. I would say to you that, generally speaking, if you have to correct the person, don't try to correct them in public. Um, You might be embarrassed because the person might, might have made you look small or might have somehow... Um, hurt your ego but you're not going to get in the way if you've got several people around and you're trying to correct that person in public and uh, you've got to know the person as well can he handle uh, can he handle correction or is he going to be defensive he's going to get angry vicious uh, belligerent so I think the, the place is important the other thing is is this the right time to do it is it the right circumstances we're in and is the right audience for me to deal with it uh, etc and do I have enough time at this point in time to deal with it the way it needs to be dealt with so not only the place and the time and then also the other thing is am I in the right spirit to correct the person have I been embarrassed am I angry am I hurt am I too emotional Uh, if that is true of you this is not the time to talk about correction whatsoever and the fourth thing I would say to you is what is my goal 
in trying to correct this person? Is it trying to humiliate them? Am I trying to win the argument? Uh, am I trying to defend my ego? Am I trying to save face? Uh, am I trying to help that person? I'm trying to honor the scripture and honor God. So I think those are things that um, need to be considered. You indicated in the uh, question at some, some point in the, in the matter that uh, you seem to have a problem with your emotions. Uh, if that is true, never try to correct the person once you are in a state of anger. Uh, you'll say some things and do some things you're, you're going to regret. In terms of how you proceed to, to do the correction, I would um, suggest to you a few few thoughts on that line as well. The first thing, I'm not too sure what the issue is, but I think you need to try to define what the real problem is or what the real issue is that this person needs correcting. When uh, if, if you don't have a clear understanding of defining what the problem is, the conflict is going to de deteriorate and uh, it's going to cause words to be said and maybe even past is to be brought up and maybe some kind of hurt. So um, try to find out what the real thing it is. What's the real topic? What's the real issue? What's causing our conflict that I need to do? Uh, Second thing is to deal with your own heart. Uh, Matthew talks about uh, casting the beam of your own eye before you begin to, to deal with somebody else's problem. And I think um, if you take some reflection, ask yourself prayerfully, you know, do I have a part to play in this matters creating uh, the issue of conflict where I have to try to correct the person. Uh, so try to, to to try to face your, your, your deal with your own heart and your own condition. Then de decide on the time that you're going to discuss it. Uh, maybe uh, uh, wait until the person settles down. Maybe until the the audience who might be there, uh, more than one person's uh, person is there at the time of the conflict. Let that all settle down, and then maybe either the same day or uh, some other time, maybe call the phone. Listen, can we can we set aside some time where we can really discuss this matter? Um, I was a little bit angry, etc., uh, etc. Et I, I, I apologize if I um, went too far and said some things I shouldn't say. But our relationship is more important than winning the issue. And could you just let us have a, a time to sit down and to sit down and meet and give me some time so we can deal with this matter with respect and 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 maybe search the scriptures? So I think that 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 so you need to uh, talk about the timing and then uh, try to see if you can agree on certain time rule time guidelines when you decide to meet to discuss with whatever you need to correct. Um, how are we going to do it? How much time the person he can speak for five minutes, and then you speak for five minutes? How are you going to how are you going to deal with that? Nobody interrupts the person. In other words, set some of the guidelines on that matter, uh, and then decide what's the final basis of authority to decide on the matter that's creating the conflict or creating that needs to be corrected. You've got to decide on authority that both of you accept. If it's a matter of the Bible, agree together that the Bible is going to be this, the answer to the problem. And then what if we still look at the Bible, look at the issue, and still end up in this one? Well, decide on the arbiter, somebody you can turn to that maybe can hear the, the view of both of you and perhaps give you some guidance uh, in that matter. And then the other thing I would say to you very quickly is uh, try to diffuse any tension that you have between the person uh, it might require an apology, it may require uh, a clarification, you misunderstood him or misunderstood her, and there are times when you have to seek forgiveness, because you might recognize after hearing the whole situation, you recognize that you were in the wrong. So I think those are some very, very helpful uh, guidelines that could um, 
could could assist you in dealing uh, and trying to correct uh, a person. The other thing I would say uh, about this matter is there a great age disparity between the two of you? Uh, is it an older man or a younger man? Uh, I think that plays a role in trying to show respect and, uh, to him. Don't try to belittle him, especially if he's a senior person, you're a younger person, doesn't help in the situation. So I think that is a factor, the age factor, the difference between the two of you in that regard. I don't know if that helps, uh, uh, but I, I, I would think that if you follow those basic guidelines, uh, you should be able to. The key thing for, from what I'm reading, what I saw there, is that you um, seem to have gotten into trouble with your emotions in, in the uh, in reading what you've said there. It seems that you you um, you seem to, seem to have a. I'm not sure if you've got an anger problem or you have, but you seem to uh, indicate that that is one of your major major problems. But never try to deal with the situation once you're angry, because you're never never going to get in the way. It's going to become a a brawl and uh, people who can get hurt, you're going to get hurt as well. Pastor, the, there's a follow-up comment or additional part of the question. Correcting can easily be called judging, and this causes a fear of response for me personally, since the verse of judge not is always thrown back at me. How should that affect a believer? Well, uh, if you read the context of the same passage that's being thrown back at you, the Bible makes it clear, judge but judge righteously. Don't just by judge by outward appearance or out of partiality. Uh, you could, if a person throws that at you, there's a person in Thessalonians. I think it's the last chapter in Thessalonians. It says, "Test all things, prove all things." Uh, uh, so you have, and, and, and uh, John says, "Test the spirits," basically. So you have a right. Uh, in a case like that, don't let anybody intimidate you or uh, silence you or prevent you from uh, dealing with an issue that you feel needs to be dealt with because they're trying to in intimidate you by saying, you know, judge not yet, be not judge. But uh, the Bible said, Paul also says, by the way, that the believer judges all things, yet he himself is not judged, right? So there has to be um, the exercise of judgment, but that judgment must be righteous judgment that looks at uh, Latin matter from a biblical point of view. Uh, I hope that sometimes we can be too hypercritical, and I think uh, we become farsaic when we come that way, that every every nitty-gritty thing we, we make an issue, and if that's your spirit, I think it can be detrimental uh, in terms of you uh, trying to help people to resolve any matters that are of um, of concern, but don't be intimidated by the throwing out that Bible verse. Uh, there are dozens of a Bible verse that says that we ought to be discerning, we ought to judge, we ought to test, we ought to prove. Um, uh, so I would not allow that to intimidate me um, when it comes to those kind of matters. Our next question comes from Antigua WhatsApp message. Thank you for sending it, Pastor Murphy. I'm asking a question based on your personal belief about our God, who you've come to rely and trust, not based on your view of the world or any of your counseling that you've done over the years. Sorry for being so specific. Here's the question. As a believer <coughs> who has lived many years walking with God, do you believe God would allow any child of his who is totally dependent on him and actively seeing him to get into a relationship where someone would cheat on, harm, or abandon them? Well, again, um, the key word there is allow. Um, I know God can prevent certain things, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but I don't know the whole scenario. You know, you're talking about a person who is totally 
um, dependent on God and, and totally um, actively seeking seeking God. But that person might have a blind spot when it comes to the matter of romance. And, you know, you can see that in certain Bible characters. And um, sometimes um, God sends red lights. Uh, and it's like amber lights are flashing, first of all, warning lights. And then it becomes so serious that God begins to send red lights. But the person... Uh, is, is spiritual in, in, in other areas of their life, but they just don't seem to uh, have any discernment when it comes to dealing with the opposite sex or, or those type of relation. And, and and it's not that God God can allow it uh, because the, the person is not taking heed to the warnings and the amber lights that God has been flashing again and again, so he can allow it. And he does allow a lot of these things to happen to us because we we don't have exercise discernment and caution and seek godly counsel in these areas. When we fall in love, uh, I always tell people, um, you always put on your sock before the light goes off because once your light goes off, you can put on the wrong. Uh, what I'm saying, be, uh, before you fall in love, have certain guidelines that you have in place because once you fall in love and romance takes over, believe you me, I've seen some of the blindest people on planet Earth, very, very sensible, very, very intellectual, but when it comes to romance, it's as though they got blinders on and I think it's because they become emotionally attached and they can't seem to to pull away from that emotional attachment. And, 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 and there are so many warning signs that they see that they still go. Um, it's like the lizard running into the cat's mouth. Cat's mouth. I mean, <laughs> you would think there would be... But I've seen that happen. So I think God can allow it. Um, uh, but I don't think it is... Uh, he will direct it uh, that it would happen, but He would allow it because He allows you to exercise your will. Uh, if He didn't do that... Uh, how would we become moral creatures? And, and this is where the mystery of b- divine guidance and human responsibility comes in. I mean, God is sovereign, but man is responsible. And God respects the fact that we are human beings with a free will, and He allows us to make decisions. Sometimes He will do everything to prevent us from going in, in certain directions. But if we insist, you know, a, a classic example, if I might use that, is like uh, Balaam and Balak. Balaam asked God if he could curse Israel. God said, no, don't curse Israel. And Balak paid him, and he come back again. God said, if you want to go, you go ahead. And remember on the way, a donkey met him on the road, and would have, an angel of the Lord would have killed him had not the donkeys had more insight than him and saw the, the, the angel and veered off and smashed his foot against the, the fence, uh, as it were, and he, then he started beating the donkey. <laughs> uh, you know, but again... You want to do what you want to do, just go ahead. He allowed it, right? Same thing with Israel. Uh, they prayed and wanted quails, and got, you want quails? I'll give you quails. They ate quails until the quails were coming through their nose. The meat was, and then God sent a plague among them to destroy them. So it's possible that God allows us to do certain things. Uh, and uh, again, I think in the kind of issue you're dealing with, I've seen it again and again where romance has really blinded people and they make so many I was talking to Brother Nathan even before the program that I've seen so many marriages that when I sit down and talk with the, the persons I am, I'm trying to figure out what's the connection there's such a disparity between the two of them there's so much there's just a disconnect between the two of them I'm trying to figure out what brought these two people together so I see it again and again, and if you're involved in any kind of marital counseling, you see it again and again. It, it just baffles you how how this happens. 
Um, and, and in particular, by the way, it is a, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's almost a one-sided thing that I see so many women, godly women, good women, end up with so many rascals. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world... How did I didn't meet her before, or something like that? That you know, <laughs> how she ended up with this? This I've seen that again and again and again, and I think that in particular when it comes to to women, it just seems as though that they 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 just seem to have they veer off in in that area and they're very very blind in that area. This is my experience. I don't know if that helps uh, the situation and uh, helps you put it in perspective. But generally speaking, people that end up in marriage where they get divorced or people hurt them or something happened, there were a lot of red lights that w they would have seen in, during the romantic stage that they completely uh, blocked off and didn't pay attention to, didn't listen, didn't seek counsel, and they, they, they feel that they've made the right decision. Then later on, when they look back in retrospect, they can probably say, you know, I, I saw that, but I just ignored it. I didn't take advice. I didn't take counsel. A What's the other part? Yeah, so the second part of the question is, I fully accepted that the believer's life will not be perfect here on earth, but that all he would go through would be what God wants him to or what he gets himself into by disobeying God. The second part of the question, Pastor Murphy, do you believe in your heart that God would lead any child of his into a bad marriage for their growth. Thank you in advance for answering my question. You know, it's a, it's a, 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 a provocative question. But here is, uh, let me make one or two uh, comments before I see if I can uh, give some understanding or some answer to that question. Uh, first of all, uh, marriage is never to be a mission field. Okay, so you when you're looking for a partner in life, uh, you're not looking to marry somebody to improve that person, basically, or for that. That's not what the whole purpose of marriage is about. Marriage is about it's glorifying God with your life, uh, etc. So don't think that you know. I've, I've had people say, "I thought I could change him." <laughs> oh, I think I could change her. <laughs> Biggest mistake you ever make in life, because that's not what marriage is about. Okay. The second thing is that God would never lead a believer to marry an unbeliever. Let's be very, very clear about that. Paul says, if we marry, we must marry in the Lord. So uh, <clears throat> I can't see God leading any person who's a Christian um, <clears throat> to help him by marrying an unsaved person. Any Christian that marries an unsaved person marries outside the, outside the will of God. That needs to be very, very, very clear. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, so that needs to be very clear. Um, I could say this. I could see God allowing a person to marry a person who is not the ideal person with a view that uh, he could take off some of the rough edges off that person's life and, and mature that person to be able to handle problems. I can see that happening. Uh, so I don't know if that helps in any way. I, I want to put those two others, those first two as important principles. But I think that that, that can be a, a process where it's not the, um, it's not the ideal person but I'm not too sure if we could ever find the ideal person this side of life, uh, etc. But I do, I do think that we can be people can be brought into our lives uh, to make us better persons, and we can also be brought into people's lives to help improve their uh, their their life as well. But when it comes to this whole matter of unequally yoked unions, 
um, don't ever uh, violate that principle because that's an established biblical principle when it comes to marriage. Again, I don't know if I've been able to answer this question sufficiently. Maybe I should probably uh, reflect on it a little bit more, and perhaps uh, next week I might have some uh, additional information that I think might be helpful uh, uh, to the person who asked that question. I hope, in some measure, um, I've been able to, to give some basic principles, a kind of a skeleton, uh, to help them to bridge between the question and finding an answer. Thank you to the individuals who have sent in their questions thus far tonight. We look forward to you sending in your questions, and you can call and be put live on the air. And the phone number to speak live on the air is one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question right there in the comment section on your device there by the video and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on eleven sixty AM online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And if you're in Antigua or a nearby island, you can join our English programming on 92.3 FM. Question for you. When was the last time that you invited someone or encouraged someone else to listen to That's Truth? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone at the gas station that you have never seen before and you will probably never see again. Maybe it's someone at church. Maybe it is a family member. Go ahead and WhatsApp or text them. Tell them That's Truth is still on, on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse for the next hour and an hour's worth of opportunity for you to send in your questions and encourage them to tune in and listen. We're going to jump back into our topic of corporal punishment until additional questions come in. And that topic is something we've been discussing the last two weeks uh, Pastor Yu started out by giving kind of an overview of corporal punishment or discipline in the school and the home, and does the Bible approve of it? And last week you were talking about uh, the role of psychology and if there's any benefit of psychology when it comes to discipline and the view of the development of a child. Pastor, there are a whole lot of views out there on spanking. Is it safe to say that there's some fallacies out there? And if so, what are they? Well, I, I, there's clearly some fallacies because if there were no fallacies, there'd be no argument on this matter. I mean, to my mind, this whole matter is settled. Uh, the fact that God authorizes it, authorizes it, and that the fact that God endorses it um, should settle it for any Christian, any believer, uh, because the Bible is the final authority for the church, final authority for uh, the believer. Uh, but clearly, people have a misunderstanding about this thing. And I think some of the fallacies, um, some of the f main fallacies uh, about spanking basically boils down to about four of them. Uh, one of them is that uh, uh, spanking teaches children how to hit and to hurt other people. I mean, that is a, that's, that's what is being said. So therefore, if the 
parent spanked the child or hit the child or the teacher hit the child, it would encourage the child to reciprocate because it becomes as an example. Uh, the other thing is that you get the idea that when the parent is disciplined that they have this hostile f physical attack on angry parents who are going to brutalize the kids because they're spanking the kids. That's the furthest thing uh, for the truth, to be very honest with you, because um, when, you, when a parent is, is, is doing spanking, uh, sometimes it's not a matter of just of anger. It's simply because there are certain things that the child has done that uh, require a spanking. So it's not the uh, it's not because he's in an emotional mood, and because he's in an emotional mood, and he responds in a, an aggressive, anger way, and therefore the child follows that example. You know, um, I, I mentioned uh, before that such things as defiance, dishonesty. Uh, doing violence to another child, uh, certain types of immoral acts, etc. The, the the spanking comes in in the first order there. So the idea uh, and the child learns that uh, not to hit another child with a stone, not to uh, use a ruler. What, how does he learn that? He learns that because he gets a spanking for it. So it, instead of encouraging the person to hit another child or in some way do damage to another child. It, it, it does the very opposite. The fact that there are consequences, and uh, those con this, uh, in this case there are negative uh, enforcement, uh, it's painful, so therefore the child learns not to hit, uh, etc. The other view is, uh, the other thing that I think is, is very, very exaggerated, and it's a false view of the whole matter, is that um, the, the parent waits until they are f totally frustrated and exasperated uh, before they actually do the, 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 the use the belt, etc. Now, I know in the Caribbean that generally happens. When I was a boy, uh, is my mom only, I mean, when she got totally frustrated is when she would really use the, the whip and with her anger and her frustration and emotion, sometimes you got hit in the wrong places, sometimes you got more lashes than you should have been given. And sometimes you've got whales, you've got marks, etc., etc. But when we talk about the Christian exercise of discipline in the parent, in the etc., uh, it's a completely different situation. Uh, this is not acting out of passion. This is not waiting to the, the last moment. This is the parent um, avoiding coming to the level of irritation or becoming agitated uh, by allowing this thing to prolong so much that finally they now go for the rod. Uh, they, uh, so I think that needs to be corrected. There's not a, it, it, in other words, parents are not coming out in exasperation and irritation, then, then use the rod. We're suggesting that that needs to be used first before it comes to the level where the parent is irritated and annoyed and can do some very serious damage uh, to the child. The third thing that is um, that they say that punishment um, does little influence on human behavior. Now, everybody knows that's a bogus argument. Uh, if that were true, why would they give people speeding tickets? Yeah. Right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why, if you don't pay your taxes, there are penalties, etc., uh, etc. Et why you make people wear, wear a seatbelt? Uh, if, if consequences, etc., do not ch uh, change human behavior. So I think that's a complete uh, fabrication. I don't think there's any merit in it. And then the other one is that uh, when you use spanking, it would damage the self-worth of a child. Look, a child is able and capable to discern when a parent disciplines them in love and not in hatred. Uh, 
And when your parent uh, uh, explains to you uh, why you're going to get uh, a spanking, and they are, uh, they're not angry. Uh, they 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 give you the reason why it's going to happen. They can't they can't not let you get lashes because uh, to do that would be an indication that you're allowed to have your own way. Uh, and young people as as well are very much aware that they need the spanking. Sometimes they're surprised they didn't get one. They really think it's this it's deserved, and they know that. And when mommy doesn't uh, and daddy doesn't give the discipline. Um, they, the child lose respect for the parent because they know one thing, I should not have gotten away with this. So parents and uh, children are able to discern. So the idea that you're going to damage their self-worth or the dignity if you use corporal punishment is a myth. I, I repeat, we in the Caribbean have had uh, centuries of uh, spanking and, and we have not been damaged uh, as people talk about. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, to, to a great substantial level, the manners and the courtesy and the personality and the qualities and the morality of the older generation which had firm discipline is far superior to what we are having today. And they were far more confident than a lot of children that they have today, in spite of the fact that they have discipline. So the argument falls when you look on history and look at experience. Uh, it's, it's just a total myth, what people are saying. And I just, I've said this before, I guess people are just parroting off what they've been taught in school and regurgitating what they've been learning in the, in the textbooks without examining who has made this presentation and who's pushing this argument. And the other thing is this, Look at what is happening in Europe. Look at what is happening in America. Look at the quality of people that are being produced and all the, the, the degradation that's begun to take over all these countries. Is that the direction we want to go? And remember that most of what they're experiencing, they're now reaping what happened in the 60s and the 70s uh, when you had these psychologists saying that children would be damaged if they use the, the rod, etc., etc., so the current generation of of of, uh, of 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 moral perverts and people who are uh, godless and and don't have any sense of courtesy, uh, that's the result. We've sown to the wind and we're now weeping the whirlwind. So let us not, in Car as Caribbean people, f fall for the folly of what is being advocated as some kind of a psychological science. See it for what it is. Uh, the complete moral breakdown of society because of ideas that are being uh, pushed in society that have no biblical base but in the long term completely destroy the moral fabric of society. Pastor, I think it would be an appropriate time to ask if you can give any general principles of discipline or guidelines of discipline. Well, there are several things that um, when it comes to discipline I think it's important in terms of guidelines. And I want to share some of these with you, and just some general ones. Um, one would be that children must learn to obey you if you want them to obey God. Uh, that's why the Bible says uh, to chasten them while there's hope. Uh, and, and this is where you must remember that if I can't bring my child under my authority, where they respect uh, my authority, um, it is very, very difficult when that person would ever come under divine authority. So it is not just uh, for my sake, 
is also for the spiritual welfare of the child. And that is a principle that needs to be borne in mind, that if the child doesn't learn to obey, <coughs> obey me as a parent, it becomes very difficult for that child to want to obey uh, God. Number two, break the will, but don't break the spirit. And I think that is very, that's why the Bible says in the book of Colossians, and, the, and, and uh, don't exasperate the child. Um, you want to lead discipline to lead to repentance, to restoration, and ultimately to a form of self-discipline that you don't have to exercise discipline. You don't want to uh, completely break the spirit of the child so the child has totally given up. And, um, you know, but at the same time, remember that it's a clash of wills. And you've got to win this battle. If your child puts his nose in your nose, you better win that battle. Because if you don't win, I'm going to suggest to you, you've lost all respect. You'll never be able to control. If he really wants to fight, give him a fight, basically. But don't let him get away with that. But be very, very careful that you don't, in trying to break his will, that you also break his spirit. Uh, number three, be firm and consistent. Um, don't make rules and regulations that you don't intend to re enforce. If you don't intend to enforce them, do not make those rules. And once you have said you're going to do something, uh, you've got to be consistent with it because the child sooner or later that mummy's more talk than action. So you've got to make sure that that doesn't happen. But firm and consistent discipline is essential. And then uh, make the discipline fit the demeanor, whatever uh, the person has, has done the offense. Uh, develop a variety of methods that's appropriate uh, for whatever the offense may be. Also, uh, make the, 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 the punishment or whatever it is uh, in relation to the age. Um, you should not require, be required to spank a child after 13, for example. That would have to be an, an exception, uh, exception. But certainly between four and eight, that uh, even three, you, you need to, to, to use the rod. So make the punishment um, uh, depending on the age. There are certain other forms of punishment you can use with a 13-year-old or 14-year-old. Take away the cell phone if you get access to it. Take access to the television. Um, they like the bicycle, t deal with that, etc., etc. If you give them an allowance, uh, cut down on the allowance. Um, make them do some extra work around the house. Uh, there are things you can do. Uh, so the age is a factor when it comes to this whole matter. Then um, the nature of the offense, again, you set some rules on the nature of You and your husband sit down and decide, listen, uh, let's talk about how we can discipline these kids and what they can be disciplined for. Uh, so you, you kind of, if they don't make up their bed, um, if they don't do their chores, if they don't brush their teeth, if they don't pick up their toys, decide on what kind of discipline you're going to exercise and, and, and the form of it, but what it what is going to be done for. And then the other thing that's very important as a principle when it comes to dealing with, with uh, children uh, in terms of uh, dealing with the, the, uh, the, the misdemeanor that they do is the matter of uh, attitude of the child. Uh, that is, is very, very crucial. Is it, are they stubborn? Are they spiteful, vengeful? Um, you know, uh, uh, are they rebellious? I think, again, you have to set some form of discipline deal with those kind of issues. Then be reasonable. Don't provoke your child to wrath, the Bible says. 
watch that you don't vent your frustrations at work and the frustration with the boyfriend that you take it up to the child the child is very very clear that you know I didn't deserve what did but mommy uh, come home or daddy come home and they're totally upset and now they're taking all of their wrath on me so uh, be very reasonable if you've done that you need to apologize to the child if you've overdone it you might need to, to do that and then supervise uh, your children don't just give them a command of what to do um, and just expect that they're going to just carry it out uh, if you're going to teach them to obey, you might require some kind of supervision to help them initially of what you really want, uh, depending on the age of the child. So I think those are six principles, Nathan, that are, are very, very helpful um, for a person who is um, going to go through this matter of uh, discipline. Pastor, we have a question that's come in from Antigua. At what age should you stop spanking? I believe you may have... I uh, just happened to answer that as they were asking the question, but I'll go ahead and ask it. What age should you stop spanking? Generally speaking, I don't think you should need to spank a child when they get past 12 or 13. I don't think you should do that. But that doesn't mean uh, that you shut it off altogether. Uh, be very, very careful about this one, okay? A child, if you've been disciplined a child very early from age 3 right on, um, you're not going to have major problems with a child. If you've been doing it the right way, you're not going to have major problems. But it doesn't mean that at some point in time, a child who is 13 uh, might have done something, or 12 or 14, that they don't need uh, a whipping. I, I have, I think I've whipped my child. The, the oldest I've whipped my child maybe when I was 17. Uh, not you get the impression that I, honest to God, I can't think. I can count on my finger and toes the amount of times I've whipped my three boys. But at that time, at 17, and it was about 17, he deserved a whipping. He got it too, right? <laughs> he went on, put on two pants, and <laughs> and he wouldn't cry as well, Nathan. And I knew that I was either going to lose him or win him there, and I decided that he had to cry. And it's only when I saw tears trickling down his face, I stopped, and I knew I'd accomplished my purpose. I've dealt with his will and broke that will at that point in time. But that's not the norm, to be very honest with you. Um... But I don't see if a parent has been disenfranchised for a time with uh, two and a half right on that he should really need the rod, 12, 13. As a matter of fact, he might not even in, in age 10 and, and beyond that. But there may be something that the child actually does at some point in time that the parent feels that this you can't get away with this one. Total disrespect uh, to your mom, sassing your mom, cursing your mom, uh, using a bad word against your dad, whatever it is. Um, I think that is something that needs to be dealt with and dealt with very firmly. But there's no need for uh, spanking uh, in the home generally after 12 or 13. Pastor, is it possible that in a home where there's multiple children, one child will need more spankings than the other? Pardon me? Is it possible that some children need more spankings than others? Oh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> there's, uh, look, there's, there are kids in a home, you can't believe they came with the same wound and got the same mom <laughs> and the father. They got one that's so compliant. He's a darling, she's a darling. I mean, she listens. She's comp got one that like, he's headed straight to hell for the time he came with the wound. Uh, you can't explain the personality in that. So definitely there are kids that need more more discipline than other kids. But again, it has to be fear and if there's no nepotism. and uh, Because, look, children often know when they deserve discipline, to be very honest. They know when they've gone beyond it. And they're expecting it. And sometimes parents disappoint them. 
in, in that process. Let's not disappoint them. If they deserve it, let's give it to them. At the same time, when we're over with it, make sure that we don't alienate them by sending them into the room after we've given them and let them be tormented for another two hours as though mommy has, uh, you know, don't want them around, etc. You know, adding torment to the discipline. If you whip them and they're already crying and bawling, whatever it is, don't tell them go in the room and spend the next five hours. No, you've you've done worse than the first discipline, right? And there's some kids, by the way, that prefer uh, getting a spanking than to have certain things taken away from them, or they can't go certain places. So you're going to have to know the child and understand what works with the child and uh, use your judgment appropriately in that regard. How does a parent go about discipline? Can you give some more specific, concrete examples or guidelines? Um, before I do that, Nathan, I want to just um, say a few extra words, if I may, about um, you know when to do it, and then uh, we talk about how how to go about it. Uh, let me just talk a little bit about this whole matter when when we do discipline. First thing I would say to you: begin as soon as the child needs to be disciplined. Don't look. The problem with us is that we think that every child, you know, that's the problem with the school, by the way. We expect that every child at the same intellectual level. We teach all the same material. We don't make room for a slow developer or late learner in, in the school. So we do the same thing in the home. Uh, uh, so I, I would say to you, as soon as the child needs it, if he needs it at two and a half, give it. He might not need it until three or whatever, but when he needs it, and you will know when he needs it, so my answer to that question, do it as soon as you recognize that he needs it and start uh, being consistent in dealing. Uh, most people would say to you that you begin with a toddler, two and a half years old, you begin there, uh, and let him develop the habit of obedience. Number two, as far as when you do it, as often as he needs it, right? You're just going to... Um, you can't say, well, I'm only going to give him two today and, and three tomorrow. No, 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 no as often as he needs it. And believe you me, once you begin, he begins to feel the pain, he is going to respond. Um, so uh, if there's no pain in the whole process, you're wasting your time. You're just brushing flies and uh, uh, reinforcing the fact that mommy doesn't have any spunk. She doesn't have any will. She's a weakling. She's just a jellyfish. And she really doesn't have the heart to apply the rod when, when and that's going to be uh, recorded in their mind, and 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 uh, will be played will play with you and your, and your husband as well. Number two, number three is this: as far as when you do it, begin soon enough, as often as is needed, and as soon after the offense as possible. You know, ch children have a very short memory, uh, basically when they're young, between 5 and 15 minutes. Imagine, now you're, well, when daddy comes home. Uh, now, by the time daddy comes home, the child has already forgotten. Now you, it's more torment. And I think that when the child needs it, as soon as the offense has occurred, and uh, provided you're in the right frame of mind, and you're not angry, you're not irritated, it's better to do this. The Bible warns about that, delaying uh, punishment. So we need to do it as soon after defense as possible, not when daddy comes home three hours from then. And the poor child already been tormented for three hours already before he's waiting for daddy in a case where he knows he's going to get licks. Take the pain of that. That's more that's more emotional pain than the licks. You could have given him three or three lashes, and by the time 15 minutes is over, it's all over. 
But no, the, the, the thought of having to deal with Daddy when Daddy comes home and Daddy comes home late. So I did that when it was 1 o'clock, Daddy come home 8 o'clock. For the last seven hours, I can't even concentrate on the whole matter. So it's uh, now deal with it as soon as possible. Don't create that kind of a torment. Um, what do you discipline a child for? Uh, I would say that one of the big principles here is that you and your husband have to decide what are spanking matters. Not everything is a spanking matter. Right? Decide what will be spanked the child for. Right? And that's why I said spanking is not people get in when you talk about spanking that you're talking about, you know, everything the child does you spank. No, that's what we're talking about. You have to settle with your husband what are things that we think this child should be spanked for. So you've got to mutually agree on those matters, okay? Um, Is it ever appropriate if something unexpected comes up and the child is there in the room with the husband, the mother and the father to excuse the child from the room for a minute for the parents to determine exactly what discipline is necessary and then bring the child back? Yeah, I would think that'd be, that'd be decent because if you haven't decided, let's suppose something has happened that you didn't agree to that we will spank for, but this thing happened, you really feel that this might be worth it. I would call a timeout and uh, say to the, the son, you know, can you excuse us for a while? We need to talk together. Mom and myself need to talk about this matter. Um, I think that does one or two things, Nathan. It shows that the, the husband and wife are together. Mm. You know, the other thing is that he could, he might want to whip. And she, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Sending the wrong message. You're sending the wrong message, the wrong codes. It's pretty much this. Mm. And if he gets away with that, uh, generally speaking, the one that applies the discipline is always the one that is viewed negatively, and the child moves and gravitates to the one that is is, is less uh, less disciplinarian. So that creates a division. So it's better that they can see that we're no, I can't get away with this. Uh, that mom and dad is on the same wavelength, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that's vitally. I think that's a vital point you've made there. There may be times when you need to uh, sit down and talk about it, etc. The other thing is. Don't spank the child for accidents and, and childish things, to be honest with you. I think that's an important one. Um, I, I, You know, you go into a supermarket, and the first thing you, you meet before you go is what? When you be, just before you go, you think, what, what do you meet when you're going to the supermarket? All of these chocolates, all of these oh, yeah. conquers. Gosh, you be a little child. <laughs> Mommy, I want one of those. Mommy, I want one of those. I mean, that's being a child. You don't beat a child for that, right? Uh, so I think that you've got to be, you know, be very reasonable in, in this. Now, how to do it, basically, how you go about it. Let me give you some ideas as far as how. how uh, number one, try to establish guilt. And what I mean by that, the child must understand what you are going to discipline him for. Um, if you've already established the rules with him and the guidelines, what you expected from him, well, he knows already what to expect. Uh, and, and don't ask him why he did it either. Alright? He did it because he's a sinner. Okay? He's selfish. He he's, he's, has a rebellious nature. He's a human being like you're a human being. We, we do things because we want to do things. Right? And we have a sinful nature. Uh, so don't ask why, ask what you did. So ask what questions, not not why questions. Jay Adams does a great work on this in the book Competent the Council and the Christian Council Manual when it comes to dealing with what kind of questions we ask people. Why questions are purely speculative. But the what questions, what the offense, what the actual offense you did, you can tackle those kind of things. So try to uh, 
established guilt and uh, as much as possible if there is some offense that you have uh, a, a rule try to show the child where that's um, this is something biblically wrong basically like you should honor your parents you're dishonoring your parents you're disrespecting your parents uh, you know if there's a biblical principle that relates to the offense like for stealing uh, is another thing you can use the scriptures there you find it your authority you're given some kind of authority so I think it's important uh, again to establish guilt um, and, and and the second thing is establish the authority in other words not only your authority but what's your uh, biblical authority for discipline in that particular area so it would be good if you could uh, read the scripture with the person with, with that kind of a matter so that they know that you know you're not just acting willy-nilly but you'd have some good, solid, uh, you can even have biblical grounds uh, for that. It's, it's actually teaching the child also to respect the Bible and expecting God's authority. The other thing I would say to you is um, try to do whatever you're doing and correct the child in love, okay? Not in anger, not in hate. If you are angry, and you're upset and you're irritated and the child needs discipline that's not the time to deal with it you need to get yourself together first uh, because the child it becomes very very clear that the way you deal with the child that this is this is not just this is anger this is irritation so I think you've got to exercise that matter with a, a level of love and understanding <clears throat> the other thing is do it in a private place. Don't embarrass him in public. Uh, now, that's a little bit different than if he's screaming in the supermarket, okay? Uh, you might need to try to, to deal with it there. But generally speaking, and, and it also depends on the age of the child. You don't embarrass, embarrass a big teenager in public because, you you know, it makes you look bad. Uh, you might have an enemy for life. So exercise it in private, deal with it in, in private, uh, and then use a neutral object. And what I mean by that, don't use your hand. One of the biggest mistakes you can do is to use your hand. Uh, if, if you have a little paddle, and I would recommend a paddle, a cuckoo stick is a good one because it doesn't leave any, any marks. It's not going to wail you, it's not going to cut you, etc., etc. But use an object. That Why is it, it a mistake to use the hand? Well, you use your hand to fight. Okay. Right, you use your hand to fight. You, uh, you use your hand, and, and generally speaking, um, the fact that you have an instrument. I, I remember when I was dealing with one of my stepsons, and I remember t taking t taking him a whole year from school because he was having some problems at, with his schooling, and I had to go back from the very beginning with him, and I took him, let him stay home for a whole year, and I taught him. But again, he was stubborn, stubborn as a mule. And I s sat down with him and explained to him that, you know, we're going to work together. And I, I told him, I, I had a, a little rod called Twildill. That was his name. His name was, I won't tell you what his name was, but I called it Twildill, right? But I would make it very clear, you know, that we're gonna, you're going to learn. There's no question about this. I'm going to work with you. We can be patient, whatever it is. But he knew that uh, he would get a whipping if he didn't learn the material, right? But I would never have used my hand, and especially he was 
12, 11, uh, that kind of a thing. And I was his, not his father. Was, he was my, uh, you know, that could be perceived as violence, to be very honest with you. But because he was being, would, would you a rod in school, I decided at home, uh, the rod. But I, I think it's a mistake to, to, to use the hand on the child. Um, I mean, cuffing the child, slapping the child in his face. I've seen that slapping in his back, etc., etc. I think that is completely wrong, and I think it sends the wrong message to the child. And I do feel that uh, the child loses a measure of respect when that happens. So, a private place, use a neutral object, um, and I would suggest you hit them in the place that God intended. And believe you me, that's the botox. That is fleshy, it is sensitive, and uh, it can absorb, it's like a shock absorber. And I think that's the proper place to, uh, to apply the, the, the paddle. Uh, I cannot understand when I saw in the, uh, I, was, I, didn't see, I didn't see the pictures in the paper, but I understand that the children were lashed in their hand. Yeah, it looked like hand and or I understand arm. the back as well. I understand the hand. I didn't, I didn't see it, so I'm speaking yeah. under correction. But that should never be done. Um, the other thing is too that your your the tips of your fingers are so sensitive, Nathan, and especially the area uh, right above your wrist. Uh, that have a tendency when you get hit in that area, you can do tremendous damage. So, but I think that uh, the buttocks is the proper place, and I think that's where parents should um, just should focus on. And the other thing is this: after you've done what you need to do, uh, the other thing, oh, one other thing is. Make sure that when you are going to actually do corporal punishment, that you do it long enough and hard enough that the job gets done. Okay, I repeat, you do it long enough and hard enough that the job gets done. Um, I am just saying to you, when you do discipline, a child should cry. Okay, tears should flow. Uh, if they're gritting their teeth and grinding their teeth and telling you, Mommy, hit me as hard as you want to, don't take up the challenge. Take up the challenge. It's a matter of will, and make sure you, as a parent, win this battle early. Because when that child becomes a teenager and you haven't won the battle earlier, you are wasting your time. Then you turn to the church, then you turn to the pastor, then you turn to the psychologist, but you are now trying to bend the tree when it is too late, and you're going to break the tree as opposed to bend it. That's why the Bible says, this is the child while there's hope. There's a time in that child's life when the ideal time for that discipline, if you fail to do it, you're going to uh, suffer the consequences. Then the other thing, Nathan, after you've done that, uh, try to encourage fellowship. And what I mean by that is hug the child. Right? Uh, if they're crying, and I mean they ought to be crying, hug the child, embrace the child, uh, let them cry if they want to uh, while while you're embracing them, and uh, <clears throat> let them know in the case they did something that highly offended you or hurt you, let them know that you forgive them. Uh, as a, as, that's why I say to you, beating them and then sending them to the, uh, to the room for four hours is very, very painful. It's just as painful as he licks themselves, to be very honest with you. Mommy doesn't love me, whatever it is. That's why you need to embrace them. And I will say to you that there may be times you need to say to them uh, while you embrace them, I love you. The only reason I'm doing this 
is because I have your best interest at heart and I don't want you to turn out to be the wrong type of child. I care for you, I love you, and I can't let you get away with the things you're getting. And then it may be also that you pray with the child at that point in time. You ask the Lord to help them in the future, uh, to have better judgment, better discernment, and uh, pray for their spiritual growth, and uh, pray that they would uh, be obedient to Scripture, etc., etc. Uh, the other thing I would say to you that is important as well after you've done all of this is try to expect the right kind of response from the child uh, you want a child that is loving a child that is eager to please you a child that's willing to obey you you don't want a child that is pouting after you've given them weak licks and rebellion and making statements slamming the door etc uh, etc et you test your effectiveness of your uh, discipline by the response to the child after it has been done Okay, and I think that is the measure of whether or not you've been successful. If the licks have just made the child more rebellious or whatever it is, you haven't not been effective in dealing with the whole matter. Revisit it again. Uh, what did I do wrong here, etc., uh, etc. Et so I think that you all have to have an expected response that will flow as a result of the punishment that you've given them. Uh, I think that is generally some of the principles I would I would suggest as so many ideas uh, when you how to do it etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of material there I know all of us have had some sort of experience where we're driving through town or through a village and you have unfortunately two adults one on each side of the road and they're shouting at each other and society is at a point where it's like whoever can shout the loudest or insult the other person is the one that wins the argument. Pastor, how do we keep our children from falling into that pattern and turning into adults that act that way? Well, I think we've got to get back to biblical principles to be very serious here. I think we, you know, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says that uh, the, the parents should talk about things when they're when they're walking when they're talking when they're going to sleep etc and the whole idea is that use different points in your daily life to discuss scripture and to discuss God in those kind of and then try to be the example because it's not so much what we teach and what we say it's how the parents relate to each other and to other people if the parents uh, are shouting at each other and arguing with each other and uh, maybe even cursing uh, the child is learning, right? Uh, behavior is something that is is, is is more caught than taught, to be very honest with you. And that's where modeling an example is so vitally important. Uh, but I think that it needs to be done. Uh, training, uh, we need a lot more training in the home. Uh, I would like to say this again. I think your prime minister, I know that he brought down, a, not there's a gentleman here, uh, Mr. Magalon, that's from the Philippines that came down to Antigua. And I know that the government was seriously um, wanted Mr. Magalon to come up with a program of, of, of dealing with uh, the family, training uh, training um, parents and stuff like that. And I think the only thing that stopped that was the COVID. Uh, Mr. Magalon, re I've read his book. He is very, very experienced, a very, very affable man, and very, very spiritual man as well. And I believe that if the COVID had not uh, taken place, I still hope that the program that was intended to be put in place, I still hope that that can come to at some point in time. But I think the government realizes that society is broken down because the home was broken down. And the way to rebuild society is to rebuild the home. And it has to start 
with the parents who then train the children. And the problem is that we've had uh, parents today who didn't have parents that trained them. They now have children. They don't know how to train them. And it's a vicious cycle. So something has to happen that we save one generation so that we can save the other generation. So I do think that it begins in the home and it begins with training. I think the church as well, by the way, uh, needs to look at this even more carefully. As you know, in our church, we probably got about six persons that have young young kids right now. And one of the things that we're planning to do very soon, as soon as my wife comes back, I've already told her, is to do some training in motherhood. Uh, to help these young mothers to know what can you expect of a child at age one, age two, age three, age four, age five, age six. We might maybe go up to that until deal with the kids at that point in time. But I think that um, that is vitally important uh, training, and the church needs to play a bigger role uh, in that regard as well. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.35. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you've been hearing <laughs> doing the teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. If you're in Antigua and you are looking for a Bible-preaching church that stays true to Scripture and has practical teaching, we would welcome you to visit our services at Grace Baptist Church. We're located on Roan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace. Our Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and morning service follows at 10 a.m. And then on Thursday evenings, we have Bible study and prayer meeting that alternates on every other Thursday. But uh, even with the COVID protocols, we are having our Thursday evening services at the present time. Thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday evening to join That's Truth. And But we don't want you just listening. We want you to be able to ask your questions. And we have a number of ways that you can communicate with us tonight. You can call and be put live on the air. And the number to call is 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 782 Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed and comment your questions right there on your device and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy on air in a timely manner. Pastor, as we wrap up this episode, are there any don'ts, or maybe I should say any things that parents should absolutely not do during discipline? Yeah, uh, let me mention uh, several of these. Number one is don't call your child names. You stupid dummy. You clung, you idiot. You're just like your father, uh, your mom. You know, you'll be surprised if if you can record what parents tell kids when they're uh, dealing with them it will shock the life out of you I've heard some things and uh, people on, on the radio probably know what I'm talking about basically but that's one thing you must never do quite frankly um, or shut up uh, you know um, those are things that are so common but I would say to you uh, first of all uh, don't call a child a name and don't belittle him uh, as a parent don't make a federal charge out of everything. In other words, as I said, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. There are some things that, you know, there are some people who are so rigid and so legalistic 
that something that is so simple becomes such a major issue as though they committed some capital offense. So I think calm down and uh, be more reasonable when you're dealing with children, especially uh, look at the age when it comes to those those matters. Uh, don't make wrong threats. I'll call the police for you. <laughs> the doctor will give you a shot to keep you quiet. Uh, you know, there may be some other things, but again, uh, don't make threats that you are not uh, going to be able to fulfill, right? Uh, uh, don't promise what you want or what you can't do uh, for a child. Uh, that'd be another one. Don't punish just because you're angry and you need to vent uh, your outlet of your, your frustration. I mentioned before, don't slap. Uh, the child um, don't interfere with your mate's discipline uh, e even if you disagree with it uh, if he, if you think that he was too harsh or you think that maybe we could have given him a pass there if he's already started it and he's given it uh, again don't get into a fight with him and disagree with him publicly in front of the child wait until later and you get into the bedroom and say hun I think you're a little bit too harsh on him right there um, you didn't see this thing, but I saw this, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think what I'm saying is don't, don't, don't try to interfere with the discipline at that point. Unless it's abusive, then you have to, um, you know, a strap, and the, the, the mom is beating the child in the back, in the face, in the head. Uh, you know, you should try to intervene in that kind of a situation. But if not abusive, try to uh, not intervene. And the other thing is don't compare one child favorably against another. But how come he's so obedient and you're such a rebel, you know? Uh, that kind of comparison, that's something you shouldn't do uh, in terms of a child because every child is different. And if you do recognize the difference in that matter, um, discuss it with your husband, never in front of the child, et cetera, et cetera. Those are some of the negatives I would just mention very hurriedly, those eight things there that you shouldn't do as far as the child is concerned. I was listening to you share some of those things, and I'm thankful to God that I guess I grew up in a very sheltered, loving home, but I can't imagine the the hurt or the damage that could be done if a parent cries, shouts out, you're just like your mother or just oh, like that, your that father. Happens, that happens. I mean, yeah. not only does that in the moment, but also it undermines relationships and causes issues down the road. An another one, Nathan, because there's so much um, to recognition in the Caribbean that the way out of poverty is education. And when a child is not performing uh, to the average, uh, their calls are pretty near. You'll never succeed. You hmm. are, you're a dummy. Uh, you know, how come uh, Susan next door is doing so much better than you, whatever it is? You'd be surprised. I mean, it, it's really, really... And I think part of that... Uh, in, in my judgment, has a lot to do that I don't think we make any room for differences in kids whatsoever. And the truth of the matter is there are some uh, late learners that they will come up to par, but they're not as... And I was reading Dobson. You said you made it Dobson, uh, the book, Competent Council. No, sorry, uh, Dare to Discipline. And he's, he talks about the difference between... Uh, uh, young children, boys and girls. Girls are normally much smarter than boys early. And he explains what happened. 
there is a material called myelin that you, you know that your your nerve endings that send out like your uh, your electrical circuits basically uh it's like wires uh, all of them the, the female and the male got wires like these connections the problem the difference between the male and the female is this the girl's wires is covered like you know how we cover with um insulin uh, uh, insulation yeah, yeah right it's like that it's a white matter that has to go over these these things it goes over in the female much earlier than the the male and as a result they are they're they're quicker eventually guys guys catch it when it begins but I, I never knew that but in his book it's fascinating that and that's the value of psychology being good in certain areas that these scientific facts uh, help us to understand why there's this disparity between uh, male and female at such an early age and it has to do that the maturity is not there because the these chemical things are not taking place. I never knew that until I read that in the book. I thought about it fantastic. As a matter of fact, I was going to pass it on to the principal of the school <laughs> and to the teachers to understand yeah. why there is this little difference. And it's it's a, it's a it's an organic problem. It's not a personality problem. It's just a physical reality. For this thing to function, it needs this insulation, and it takes. It happens sooner in girls than it happens in boys. That's really interesting. That's <laughs> a scientific reason. That's the value of psychiatry. Right? Yeah. Psychiatry, remember, is a, a medical doctor who studies psychology. So he's able to combine the two of them. Uh, the psychologist, on the other hand, he doesn't have the scientific background. Uh, so that's the value of having this kind of information. As we wrap up this topic, are there any thoughts or just summary things that may come to your mind? Maybe ideas that are out there in society that we need to guard against just to swallowing one of the things i i thought was, was you know my kids grew up so fast i can't tell you much about them to be honest i was pastoring my wife was working i was a very struggling situation i don't know i can't remember much about my early childhood of my kids now that i have grandchildren and I have time to observe them. I know more about my grandchildren than I know my kids hmm. because I'm paying attention to it now, right? And I'm seeing the value of that. What I would say to parents, to be very honest with you, I think it's important to know what to expect at each age level of your child's life and try to understand what discipline is proper at that point in time. So that means now that parents have to educate themselves, Nathan. They just can't produce children and expect that there's natural things are going to happen. We are wise enough now to understand, people have studied this whole thing, that the child, the child can do this at this, whatever it is. So we can, we can begin to deal with the child at the level the child is at. We have never had that kind of thinking before. And I see the importance of it. And that's why I say to you that I thought the Prime Minister was very wise in trying to get this gentleman to come to really begin to offer classes. He was going to train people, to train uh, parents, and to train people who are going to get married, etc., etc. I think this may be the way forward. And I think that's what, what probably needs to be done. I think it would be a very, very helpful thing. And I hope that he hasn't lost interest because of the COVID intervention that has prevented this thing from happening. Because I think all of us know that if we can save the home, we can transform society. Pastor, there's a lot of ideas out there as far as how a person can have a right relationship with God. There are people who say that it's based on how you act or what you give or how you respond to others, uh, what you give to the church, 
how can I know for sure that I have a right relationship with God? But remember the words of Christ who said, no man comes to the Father but through me. John uh, in the first epistle said that we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So if we want to have a relationship with God, we got to understand that the mediator that connects us with God is Jesus Christ. So we have to come to God through Jesus Christ. We've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that begins with the point where we come, become conscious that we are sinful, become aware that uh, God has made a provision for us, through sending His Son to die on the cross for us to pay for penalty of His sins, and understand that God requires us to repent of our sins and uh, to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So our relationship with God begins with a transformation of the new birth uh, by repentance and faith and becoming saved. Once that happens, uh, the Bible tells us that God not only takes away our sins, but the Bible says that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to our account. And because God sees us as in Christ, as righteous as Christ is, that creates now the environment for a relationship. Because you've got a holy God who is now dealing with a person who is, uh, have Christ's righteousness imputed to him. Now you can have a relationship because God becomes your father. And as his son, you now have a relationship with him because of faith and trust in Christ. Time across the Eastern Caribbean <clears throat> on this Tuesday evening is 8.47. Pastor Murphy, I saw this last week, a YouTube video, and it was almost uh, so surreal because of the, well, it was scary. There was a gay men's choir, I believe in San Francisco, that was singing a song. They had produced a song and were singing a song. And the lyrics were, <laughs> we are coming for your kids. I don't know if you've seen that or yeah, have. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. And that was one of the most appalling, frightful uh, videos I've seen. But it gives you an idea of where this whole homosexual um, uh, um, movement? movement is going, quite frankly. Remember, look, I, I would suggest to people who might think that we are, I'm not, homophobic in the sense that I hate gays. Uh, but I am a biblicist, and I know one thing, that the gay lifestyle is condemned by God. It is sin. It is not appropriate. It's abnormal. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I, what I would say to, to people is to read Genesis chapter 19, and it will give you an idea of where we're headed as a society once this uh, militant gay movement begins to pressure politicians uh, to, to to their agenda. And and here's what I discovered, Nathan, that a lot of these uh, people are people of tremendous influence. Uh, you can almost go online and Google um, parliamentarians who are gay, and you'll be shocked. I, I, I did that one time, and I did not, didn't, I didn't even know that there were so many. Mm. But that's the problem. They get elected, and they now have political power. And uh, and when they get into a position, they use that position to influence policy that will support their their plan and their agenda, and that's what's happening. But if you read the book of Genesis 19, you can see that ultimately that homosexuality is a very militant, aggressive. Uh, they want you to approve of their lifestyle, and they do not appreciate that you do not uh, in any way endorse their lifestyle. So I, I think that's what's going to happen. And remember, they can't reproduce themselves. 
they have to have another generation. Where did it come? It can only come from the boys who are being born. And that's why I think the government is, any government, is completely um, immoral to allow a homosexual to adopt young boys because they are creating these young boys as a second generation. And I can't, I can't fathom a government uh, um, permitting that kind of insanity, to be very honest with you. I just couldn't believe the openness and almost the the excitement with which they were admitting this and singing it, it was but, very but disturbing. But Nathan, that doesn't surprise me. When they have the, what they call the Gay Pride March, have you, have you ever seen that on video? No, uh, brother, not you, more it, than I have to. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I don't look for it, <laughs> but it, 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 it's on, on YouTube. and yeah. These people are kissing each other in public. Notice what they call it, gay what? Pride. Pride. Yeah. These people should be ashamed of themselves. But again, when you go back to Genesis chapter 19, you discover that in the Sodom, there's no shame whatsoever. And their pride is based on the fact that they are not accountable to any God. I am I, I can live as I please. I'm not accountable. That's where the pride comes from, that I'm totally independent and autonomous. I can do as I please. And if you don't like it, I'm coming for you, basically. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm not shocked to, to, that they sang that song with such excitement and such zeal. Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes, good evening. Hi, Nathan. How are you doing? I'm not doing too badly. Uh, you song well. <laughs> um, just one verse in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. Matthew 5, 48? What that says, Nathan? Matthew 5, 48 says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Yes. What is Jesus here saying? Well, the word perfect, by the way, has the idea that you, you um, I, I can't give it the Greek word off the hand, I'll probably give it to you next week, but uh, it's a word that has the idea of fulfilling the purpose for what the object was designed. And, and, and therefore, when it talks about being perfect here, what God has designed for you as a, as a, as a man to be, uh, to carry the image of God to the furthest extent, to manifest Him, to, to glorify Him, put Him on display. And the whole idea as well is the concept of coming to a level of complete maturity. Perfection in the sense that we will ever be perfect will never be perfect down here because we still have a sinful nature. But He wants us to achieve what God has uh, created us for, and that is to glorify Him and to put His image on display before the world. That is what perfection is. And moving to be more like God and more like God and more like Christ. Christ is the ideal. We're moving in the direction of becoming more like Him and more like Him. We'll never achieve it down here, Nathan, until we become like Him and we see Him and we're made in the likeness of His image. But we will not have, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't aim at becoming more like Him. The verses before that are talking specifically about loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Uh -huh. And that is from verse 43, but we don't have the time to go into that. Yeah. Well, I, I, look, I must say, I enjoy talking to you. I can see you're a man of the Word. You actually read the Scriptures, and you really... 
uh, I remember when we first talked, you said that somebody thought you were crazy or something. I think that's what you told yeah. me. I cannot fathom anybody thinking that way about you because you, you, you're very reasonable, very honest, and uh, certainly a man that loved the Lord and loved the Word. So I thank you so much for calling, and we really appreciate that. Okay. And God bless you. Have a good night. You too, sir. Thank you for your call, Nathan, and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on Tuesday evenings. We have four and a half minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. If you send in your question very quickly on WhatsApp or text message, we may still be able to cover it. Yeah, there's one thing we could uh, take a few minutes to discuss. A, a, a video was sent uh, by Mr. Williams. Um, what is he? Uh, Bendels. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, he sent me a video of a gentleman in England. Uh, he looks as though he's West Indian extract, uh, uh, but he's preaching uh, publicly and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching repentance, and of course, in the process as well, he's he's condemning certain lifestyles, uh, homosexuality, etc. And the police are trying to arrest him. To be very honest, in England. And people are uh, sent to police because they said that he's harassing them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I think he probably sent the video for me to make a few comments on it. But basically, um, the young man was not deterred whatsoever. I mean, he kept on preaching. He was talking to the police. It's, 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 uh, it's, he let the police know. He had a... Um, he put it on the video, to be honest. You had a, a person recording everything so it can be gone public. But what is shocking, to be very honest with you, is how... England has become so paganistic and has lost its moral and spiritual life that here is a country that gave us Wesley, gave us Whitfield, mm -hmm. gave us all these great revivals, gave us missionaries, uh, first missionaries, uh, Carey and all these great men. And here is a man uh, almost being prevented from preaching the very gospel. He said, am I... Do I not? Am I not free? Do I not have a right to read the Bible? Is the Bible condemned? And then he said, "You know what? The Queen swears on the Bible. Every parliamentarian swears on the Bible. We go to court, we swear on the Bible. And did I, did I preach anything that's not in the Bible? But it just shows you, uh, Nathan, how as time goes on and the secularists win, and the Christianity is suppressed." the kind of objections we're going to get and the kind of persecution we're going to get in the, in the long term. I hope we can try to be to be muzzled. But I, I was so pleased that... Now, he's a black, um, a, a black Englishman, but it's clear that he seemed to have West Indian extract. And I was so pleased with his boldness mm. uh, because the, the people that were confronting him were these white policemen and something like that. And he, he wasn't afraid, he wasn't intimidated, basically. Uh, that spoke of his courage. But I was saying to myself, how this thing is reversed. How this thing is reversed. The West Indian extract is now telling the Englishman he's come to the gospel. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like the tables have turned, right? But that's what happened when a nation turns away from God. I don't remember how it started. It started in, in, in uh, the Reformation in Europe. And then Europe, it went to England. From England, it went to America. When Germany came up with the higher criticism and started criticizing the Bible and started going away from the truth, the truth shifted to England. When the truth started going away from England, it started shifting to America. See, And now it seems to me it's shifted to the third world. 
because mm-hmm. that's seen to be people who are taking strong biblical stands. And that's where Christianity is meant for the entire world. And that's where it's important to, to start churches over the world and not just in your own country. Because when that country becomes paganistic in the future, if you've not been uh, church planting, the voice of God might be silenced. But God has always sent the church to do missionary work in that regard. Pastor, for the pastor or the church member who is listening and says, I understand we need to be involved in missions, but presently we're doing absolutely nothing with missions. How do you get started with missions? What do you... What do you do? Well, I think you get started with missions, in my judgment, by going back to the biblical mandate, Matthew chapter 24. I cannot understand how a church can call itself a New Testament church without any kind of mission source, uh, program. I mean, whether that be sending out somebody as a missionary or supporting missionaries all over the world, I think churches need to look beyond their own personal needs in a church and understand that we have a mandate to reach the world. So it starts with examining the the, the uh, imperative that we've given in Matthew chapter 28 and begin to t- uh, teach it, and then perhaps even inviting a church uh, that you're affiliated with where the church is having a, a program, maybe to explain that program and share with the church to give them a vision, or having a, a missionary week of pr- uh, preaching, etc., etc. Thank you very much for your interaction on the program tonight. Thank you for listening to That's Truth and making That's Truth part of your Tuesday evening routine. Be sure that you tune in next Tuesday and make sure that it's not just you. Make sure that you tune in with a family member or a friend. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.